I've been a Salvation Army officer, a pastor now, for over 19 years, and I can honestly say that this last year or so has been the most difficult time to be an officer. Lockdowns, pre-recording, no church services, church services back on, then no masks, masks on while singing, masks not on at all, then lockdowns again, no singing again, and it has been chaos, not to mention meals and things that we've had to deliver. Never in my lifetime has it been more difficult to be a community leader. I'm just grateful that I'm not a politician. One of the more predictable results of this lockdown has been an increase in spending, right? Online ordering. Australia Post made the incredible announcement a couple of weeks ago that they would not be picking up parcels from a certain number of online retailers every single day so that they would then have a chance every other day or so to work through a huge backlog of deliveries that they were trying to make. A friend of mine who works at a distribution centre at Australia Post shared a photo and said that the amount of stuff to deliver was greater than it ever had been before, and I could believe it. There were piles in that photo. One of the things that wasn't predictable, though, was the run on toilet paper, wasn't it? All the way back, do you remember, in 2020, when the virus first made its way into our consciousness and lockdowns were rumoured, first things people did was go and buy toilet paper and weeks of shortages, and it even got to the point where large toilet paper manufacturers donated truckloads of toilet rolls to the Salvation Army for distribution to those who were desperate. And my concern was that when people are normally desperate for toilet paper, there's not normally a Salvation Army person around. Although, not true in my house, that works. All the way through, toilet paper manufacturers were saying, there'll be enough, don't hoard it, don't buy enough for your extended family for six months, just buy what you usually buy and everyone will have enough. And it's true, right? It's a respiratory disease, not a gastric one. It's not dysentery or diarrhea. Nowhere does anyone suggest that toilet paper is going to be needed in such huge quantities. But when lockdowns were rumoured, people dropped into an extreme scarcity mindset, didn't they? They freaked out that they just wouldn't have enough. And the focus for that freakout was toilet paper. It's the weirdest thing. I wonder whether or not in uh, 30 years' time or so in history classes, toilet paper will be discussed. I don't think it will. I think it's not very connected to the COVID-19 story. So I think the panic buying thing will be kind of left this quirky dustbin of history. Well, we'll see. This week in our final message of Be The Positive series, we are looking at this scarcity mindset. The scarcity mindset that can really suck the joy and positivity out of life and cause us to buy all the toilet paper. This scarcity mindset is the mindset where we, we believe that there is not enough. That's the prevalent view. There is not enough. And it's not just COVID-related, right? We spend hours and days of our lives hearing, explaining, complaining, and worrying about what we don't get enough of. I don't know about you, but when I first wake up in the morning, the first thing I think is that I haven't had enough sleep. Before we even sit up in bed, before our feet touch the floor, we're already inadequate, already behind, already losing, already lacking something. And by the time we go to bed at night, our minds are racing with a whole list of things that we didn't get or didn't get done that day. We go to sleep, burdened by those thoughts, and we wake up stressed. We also spend incredible amounts of time calculating how much we want, how much we have, how much we don't have. We spend more time figuring out how much everyone else has, how much everyone else needs, how much everyone else wants. This internal condition, this mindset, lives at the very heart of our jealousy, our greed, our prejudice, and our arguments with life, and it's called the scarcity mindset. There is not enough. An Old Testament prophet named Haggai had this message. He said, take a good hard look at your life. Think it over. You've spent a lot of money, but you haven't much to show for it. 
You keep filling your plates, but you never get filled up. You keep drinking and drinking and drinking, but you're always thirsty. You put on layer after layer of clothes, but you can't get warm. And the people who work for you, what are they getting out of it? Not much. A leaky, rusted out bucket. That's what. That's why the God of the angel army says, take a good hard look at your life. Think it over. What a good message. And if you find yourself in that scarcity mindset, never feeling like you have enough, stop. Take a good hard look at your life. Think it over. To help us think it over a little bit in more detail, we're going to turn to the book of 2 Kings, which Sandra read for us earlier. It's in the Old Testament, and if you've got an app or whatever, you can flick that up. One of the greatest prophets of all time is Elisha, and in this story, he's talking to a woman, or a woman calls out to him. One day, the wife of a man from the Guild of Prophets calls out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. You will know what a good man he was, devoted to God, and now the man to whom he is in debt is on his way to collect by taking my two children as slaves. Elisha says, I wonder how I can be of help. Tell me, what do you have in your house? Nothing, she says. Well, I do have a little oil. So before we get into the actual story here, I would talk a bit about what's going on. A husband dies and a woman is left to fend for herself, raising kids and everything. And what's worse is that because she's a woman in ancient Israel, she couldn't really get a job and wouldn't have been paid much even if she did. So she's pretty stuck. When her husband died, they still had debts. I assume it's a bit like a mortgage or whatever, right? And they don't have life insurance or everything, so she's really stuck. The law of the time treated children like possessions. So if you had significant debts, you could be forced to sell your children into slavery to pay off the debt. Pretty, pretty stuck. That's the awful situation this woman is in. Terrible situation. The other interesting thing to note is that the woman's husband was a member of the same guild of prophets that Elijah was. Elijah, the greatest prophet of the land, and the woman's husband probably wasn't, but when Elijah comes by, she calls out to him. She knows him. Elijah deals with her scarcity, with wisdom and faith, which I think is something for us to think about. In our own thinking about scarcity and the opposite of that, abundance. There are three principles of provision that in this ancient story that I think is we, we could learn. The first is don't diminish what you have because what you have isn't nothing. Her first response to Elisha, nothing. Well, I do have a little oil. Scarcity mindset focuses on what we don't have, but an abundance mindset focuses on what we do have. It's interesting that her immediate response was, I have nothing. But when she thought about it for a split second, she actually realized she had something, a little oil. The most common example of this principle, I guess, is the person who opens their wardrobe and says, I've got nothing to wear. (laughs) It's simply not true, is it? A wardrobe is full of clothes. But we focus on what we lack rather than what we have. This could never work, for instance, for a farmer, right? He never would harvest a crop if he only ever saw the, the insignificant size of the seed. But he doesn't see it. For what it is, but for what it would produce when planted. That's the way we need to see the world too. Secondly, God does the extravagant through what seems insignificant. Here's what you do, says Elisha. Go up and down the street and borrow jugs and bowls from all your neighbours, and not just a few, all you can get. Then come home and lock the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into each container and when each is full, set it aside. She did what he said. She locked the door behind her and her sons and they brought the containers to her and she filled them. 
When all the jugs and bowls were full, she said to one of her sons, another jug, please. I, I think this is a miracle. Yeah, right. But I think the generosity of neighbors is often undersold in this story. God does this miraculous thing. But without the support and the generosity of neighbors, there would be no containers to hold the generosity of God. Sometimes we think that what we have is small. And sometimes we think that we are just this, this empty kind of shell, this empty Tupperware container. But sometimes we need to offer ourselves as empty Tupperware containers to be a conduit for a miracle. I've never seen God create oil from nothing. But I have seen many times where God has done miraculous things simply because someone was willing to offer themselves to others. God does the extravagant through what seems insignificant. And finally, God's abundance follows faith. The son said to the mother, well, that's it. There's no more jugs. Then the oil stopped. Then the oil stopped. She went and told the story to the man of God. He said, go sell the oil. Make good on your debts. Live, both you and your sons, on what is left. You know, every time I've gotten spiritually stuck, it's usually because I've stopped pouring and I've started storing. I started to find my happiness in the things of this world rather than relying on what comes from above. So if you stop serving, if you stop caring, if you stop offering your life, then you run the very real risk of stagnation. Unless your life and spirituality is growing, moving forward, being used and exercised, it's going to go backwards. We need to continually open up our lives to the Spirit and allow ourselves to be filled continually to serve others. When we stop offering, the blessings stop flowing. Not only for us, but the community around us. And this is the thing, isn't it? This isn't really a story about oil in jars. It's a story about faith and abundance. Because as well as the belief that we never have enough, Behind that, below that, is the belief that we never are enough. Well, that is how the scarcity mindset really gets stuck into us. Our egos are fragile. There's, there's a hole in the center of our life so often we're desperate to fill and a hole that needs protection and hiding and we're afraid it will be popped in an instant. So we hide, we steal, we cheat, we do things that we don't want to do because we think that if we don't, we aren't good enough. I knew a girl once who stole from her employer. She was found out and taken into the boss's office and dismissed, fired, terminated. She was devastated, deeply, deeply ashamed, but also quite confused. And the boss also was confused because she was a good person. She was a great employee, normally. She was good with people. She knew the product. She was a successful salesperson and everyone liked her. So he was confused also because she came from a wealthy home. She had plenty. She had everything anyone could really want. So when the boss asks her why she had done it, both she and he were confused. She wasn't sure. She didn't need the money, but she desperately felt like she needed more. She didn't know what that more was. The most significant part of this shows us that the scarcity mindset can really bring someone undone. But in our faith, when Jesus comes along, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've come from, no matter how tall you are, how short you are, or how many gadgets you have, or how many shoes you don't have, when Jesus comes along, his acceptance changes everything. It's the deep knowing that you are loved by God, not a lovey-dovey 
kind of love, but a courageous, strong and fierce love like that of a lion. That's what fills the hole in the centre of our lives. That's what undoes that scarcity mindset and replaces it with a mindset of abundance. When we understand that none of the money we get, none of the things that we collect, none of the relationships we rely on, none of, none of it is going to make us feel like we are enough. None of those things undo the scarcity. Instead, when we discover that we are actually, when we, we actually, we, we are accepted wholly and totally just as we are, we don't need to be taller, shorter, thinner, smarter, faster, richer, cooler. We don't have to collect more money, make more sales, get better marks, know more famous people or dress in newer clothes. When we discover that we can live on a level above all of that, where we are so secure and strong in who we are that none of that matters, our acceptance is not based on what other people say or do. It's based on what God said and what God has done. That's abundant life. I want to invite you to stop and reflect for a few moments. And ask yourself right now, if you are enough, do you think of yourself as enough? If you don't, what effects do you think that has on your life? I know you're probably not going to steal from your employer, but what about your relationships? What compromises could you be making there? If you don't think you're good enough, what joy will you compromise? And what about your employment? If you're stuck in that mindset of not being enough, are you likely to put your hand up for a promotion or project? Stop for a moment. Do what the prophet Haggai said. Take a good hard look at your life. Think it over. And finally, reflect on these words from Paul in the New Testament to the Ephesians. It is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. He had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose, he's working out in everything and everyone. May God bless you with an abundant mindset in everything we pray.